You're listening to the Brand Interrupted Podcast, a show for the creative entrepreneur, the radiant leaders, and the rebels at heart. If you're ready to get radically visible, use your voice, and take up space, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Brittany Hammond, filmmaker, story mentor, and serial entrepreneur. Brand Interrupted means liberating yourself from the conditioning and discerning the many contradictory voices of society, family, friends, media, coaches, gurus, anyone or thing that has fit you into a box of check marks and labels, and instead coming back home to yourself. In this podcast, we are all about appointing yourself as the authority and leader of your life. Embrace yourself unconditionally, strip down to your white hot truth, cultivate self-trust and awaken your confidence within so that you can be your true expression in the world, in your life, your relationships, and your business. Ready for some real, raw, and unfiltered conversations? I'll see you on the other side. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Brand Interrupted Show. This is season four, episode 23 with Mike Ganino. Holy crap, we have another storytelling and communication expert in the house, and this episode is so lit on fire, filled with so much tangible advice and practical tips to really, really share your story and showcase who you are for the benefit of your audience. So some of the highlights are the three types of stories we tell, why faux vulnerability, like faux vulnerability, is hurting your business, telling your story at a party versus telling it in an applied way with purpose and intention in your business. You guys, this is really the key to authentic storytelling. Okay, the downside of not speaking your truth and how we let our ego interfere with our storytelling. Mike Anino is a storytelling and communication expert who helps executives, teams, and thought leaders communicate, connect, and engage. He's the author of Company Culture for Dummies and has been named a top 30 culture speaker by global guru organizations. Mike is also the executive producer of TEDx Cambridge and head performance coach of the Heroic Public Speaking. There is so much goodness in here. I really want to invite you to check out his work, especially if you are into public speaking. So I just want to dive right into this episode. And just before that, if you have been following along this series, then you would have heard me talking about the Facebook group where we're going to be having conscious conversations around all of these topics and guests. So I invite you to join the Facebook sanctuary, My Next Level Self with Brittany Hammond. And we'd love you to chime in. Let us know what is resonating with you, where you're feeling stuck, any aha moments you've had. We want to make this a really community-based experience versus just a passive listening experience. And also we would love, love, love for you if you're enjoying these episodes to take a screen screen cap and share on Instagram or leave us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm sure as you know, podcasting is a labor of love and reviews really help us know that you're enjoying the show. And that makes us feel amazing because so much love goes into these episodes. All right, let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to the Brand Interrupted Show. This is season four and the theme is all about 
speaking your truth and stepping into your own leadership. And I'm, I always say this, but I'm really excited to talk to Mike today because not only is our work very similar, but it's always really interesting to have someone share their perspective. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So you know what? You had this quote on your website. Did you just recently update your website? You know, we, we did it last, oh my gosh, I don't even remember when this was. Earlier this year, we, we did the whole new brand and everything. And so that came out earlier this year. Okay. But we're always making tweaks to it. So maybe it's possible. It's a new quote. I'm not sure. Oh, because there was this brilliant thing and I can't remember what it was. It was the first thing below your header and it was something like blah, blah, blah. And then hashtag mic drop. And because your name is Mike, I was like, brilliant. <laughs> so it's a, it's a, so that's like a fun little thing I work on is I really, I really think that like from a, cause, cause I work with people on storytelling specifically around public speaking. That's, that's the big part, the oral storytelling piece of it. And I feel like so often what we want either if we're the one on stage or on camera or on video or on podcast or whatever the case is, we want to have that mic drop moment where we feel like we were authentic and unapologetically ourselves, but we also want other people to have it. We want to watch people have mic drop moments. So I'm all about finding more mic drop moments. And, you know, I like a good pun, so it's my name. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I think it was something along the lines of like, there, there's the story you tell the world there's a story you tell yourself. Does this ring a bell? It was something Yeah, else. so it's, on, it's from my about page, and it says uh, something like, there are three types of stories. The ones we tell ourselves, the ones we share with our audiences, and the ones that our audiences remember. Hashtag mic drop. Yes. Okay, so clearly I did not remember that it was just your about page and not your homepage. So that's cool. But can you tell us, like, tell us about that? Like, what does that yeah, mean so for, for you? For me, I think it's... You know, at the end of the day, like there's, there's this obsession, I think sometimes with storytelling that yeah. we are, we're telling stories and we're shaping the narrative and we're controlling the narrative. And the reality is all we're really doing is giving people ingredients because, because we're all telling our own stories. We're all walking around and, and whatever we experience, whether it's someone on stage, whether it's a show we watch, whether it's walking in the park, whatever the case is, we are all creating our own stories from what we experience. So even if someone is on stage telling a story, we still are going to walk away and have our own version of that. What did we walk in feeling like? Was it a moment where we saw, you know, Brene Brown give a TEDx talk and it was the exact thing we needed to hear that day? Or was it a time when we were like, okay, I'm not really into this. I'm feeling good and I don't need that message. That impacts it. No matter how great of a storyteller someone is, we all are going to create our own stories with it. And so for me, I, I was thinking about it when we were working on the copy for the about page. And I thought, that's ultimately like what I do with people is to help them figure out what are the stories you're telling yourself and how are those shaping your experience? And what are the, the ones that you tell an audience? So what do you actually stand up there and tell them? So what do you tell yourself and how does that create an experience for you? What are you telling to them and how is that part of their experience? But ultimately, the package of those two things, the story you're telling yourself and the story you tell them ends up being the third one, which is the one they remember. It's the story they go home and someone says, hey, so how was your day today? That is a story. It's not facts. I mean, even you and I, Brittany, today, we're having this podcast 
we were having like, before we started recording, we we're having a little love fest about each other. Uh, we're mutual fans of each other. And later today, when I talk to someone and they say, oh, how was your podcast? How was the interview with Brittany? I'm not going to say, well, we started at X amount of, we started at X time and we spoke for X minutes and right. she asked these questions. I'm going to tell a story about our experience together. And those stories are the ones we remember. And those I think are the ones that end up shaping us. Yeah. Oh, you are so articulate. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> so how do, we, how do we like let go of controlling the perception that we want others to have of us? It's so, it's so hard. I wish there was a, ma if I could create a magic pill, if you and I, Brittany, could go into like a, a lab and create a startup to make that magic pill, I think we would be the richest people. Watch out, Oprah Winfrey, we're coming for you. <laughs> You know, I think it's, I think it's this, I think that it, it takes, it takes a lot of things, you know, there's, there's this idea of just be vulnerable, but, but that's hard for some people. And it's not as easy as just walk out and say something. And a lot of work goes into being able to step out in front of people and be vulnerable. And so we have to kind of look and say, well, well, what allows us to do that? And, you know, it's interesting when I, when I work with people on public speaking, you know, there's, there's the thing that people say that, you know, we're public speaking is the number one fear above death, yeah. which I think is interesting because I think my mom is like petrified of public speaking. If you went to Mindy, that's my mom's name, Mindy. If you went to Mindy and you were like, you got to give a speech, she would, she would hate it. She would be so scared. She would, all these things. But I think if you like threatened her life, she'd probably start speaking. So I think this idea is kind of silly, but what we're scared of is being judged. What we're scared of is not being good enough. So I don't think we're scared of speaking. What we're scared of is the reaction for people. And the reality is that that fear, which is just status and ego, it's just our ego and our status and our fear of looking dumb, looking silly, it's, it stops us in so many ways in our lives. But that is what stops us from actually connecting with anyone when we're telling our story. And that ends up being why they don't remember our story. So it's this vicious little cycle of, well, if I try to be too perfect, I then am putting up a wall between me and my audience. And if I put up a wall in front of them, they're going to read that and then they're actually not going to connect with me. And so the thing that they're going to go and say is not going to be this great story about who I really am. It's going to be, oh, I don't know, it was fine or something there. And it's this weird cycle that it, it really does take this work of saying, what am I scared of? What am I fearful of being judged for? It's, it's usually not the surface thing. It's usually not well, will they like my idea? Will, they, will it change the world? Will my speech Will my talk, will my interview be the one that is written about forever? It's usually something more personal of I'm scared of being made fun of. I'm scared of looking stupid. And if you can kind of connect with the reality that if you, if you show up in front of them, if you're honest with them, if you're, if you're willing to be honest in some way, and the story you're telling is, yeah, maybe about you, but ultimately really about them, yeah. that it, it typically works out. Yeah. You know, I have a background in performing. And so for me to show up on stage or on film as a character, like, I don't want to say it was always easy for me because there obviously is, you know, technique and, and learning that goes with that. But once I had to start speaking on behalf of my business and communicating in that way, I found that's when a lot of my fears came up. Um, and I see this when I'm working with my clients because um, I run a production company, so we'll be producing, um, you know, brand story videos, for example, and I'll be working with non-actors and 
when they're kind of like lacking that confidence or like all the little things that I see from like a director standpoint um, gets completely translated on the, on the screen because the camera like is really not nice. And (laughs) it's like, it's so subtle, but like, or I don't know, maybe this is like something that I can just read easily. But if, if you have like the slightest insecurity, I don't know, I can see it when I'm, when I, when they're, so usually if I'm filming with them, like I'll catch it in the moment and I'll, you know, (laughs) have them go through it again. But it's just really interesting because, um, my background growing up, like my whole mission in my life has been like, how do I express myself? How do I get my voice out there? And I grew up in a very abusive environment where I had a narcissistic parent that, you know, constantly put me down. And then I had school bullies and it was just like every, every layer in my life was like, shut up, shut up. Like it was like silencing me. Mm. And then through performing arts, like I didn't have that block, but then I had the block in my business. So it was like really interesting how these, these things can turn up because it's like when you are speaking on stage, like I do have, I still have these moments where I'm like, I'm waiting for the audience to like invalidate me. Yeah. Isn't that wicked? <laughs> yes. It's so, it's so deep. And, and it, you know, no matter how much work we've done, there's that little part. And I say this all the time when I work with people of that part of you that is nervous and scared is that little eight-year-old kid who still just wants to be loved and liked. And that thing stops us from doing, you know, it's so interesting, Brittany, too, because in that case where you are on stage or, or you're talking with someone or, you know, even just, I find this even when I watch people introduce themselves at a, at an event, I was at a, I was at like a mastermind kind of event and everyone got to stand up and introduce each other or introduce themselves. And I saw like how anxious even that made people. <laughs> I'm one of those people. <laughs> and all it is, is we're just worried about being good enough and being liked. And what's, What's so, what I find is interesting is by helping people through, when I do these, I do these storytelling retreats and storytelling weekends. And one of the things, and even, even for business, when I go out and I work with, with companies and we're doing corporate workshops on, on storytelling for sales or business marketing, that kind of thing, I always make them find some stories from their own lives to tell because something happens when it's like, okay, wait, I'm actually just telling something truthful to me. There's nothing about this that has to be good enough because I'm just telling you what happened to me. And it's an interesting thing if you can get people into a place where they're just telling an honest story. And it's not, about the, it's not about what happened to them. It's not about the details of the story. It's about what they made that mean. That's the big takeaway in those things. What I find is that sometimes in a small, weird way, that starts to help them say, okay, wait a second. I can, I'm just telling my truth here. And I'm just sharing this in order to help them with what it meant. I find sometimes that helps. But I have a question. I have a qu- this is your podcast, but I have a question for you, Brittany. Yeah. I'm turning, I'm turning, I'm turning the, uh, the microphone the other way now. So for you, what was the, do you remember a specific moment where you were, I mean, it kind of is your mic drop moment in a way where you, for the first time that you went in front of somebody as you and not a character, uh, maybe it was an audience or something and you were really you and it was like, wow, that really worked. Do you remember that? Where it worked? Yeah, where you, where you, you know, because sometimes we go in front of people, we tell our story and we're like, oh my gosh, that sucked. I wasn't honest. I wasn't real. But do you remember a time where you were like, you know what? That connected. That, that served its purpose. I think it's the first thing that comes to me without overanalyzing is I actually worked with a voice coach 
um, who also uh, had a narcissistic parent. So they really understood the voice, the actual like voice blocks, like in sure. my voice, life changing by the way. Um, and she has a documentary called, I can't remember the name now, but anyways, I was featured in it and I talked about, oh, I was going to give you goosebumps. I just talked about my own experience. Um, having been assaulted and in that moment why I couldn't speak up and it was one of, and it, it was such a hard story to share because because it was the truth and it's uncomfortable for myself but also it can be uncomfortable for the audience um because you know not all stories are rainbows <laughs> butterflies um but I did feel a certain like liberation in it where I was like, this needs to be, this needs to be told, not because it's necessarily like a big part. I mean, I shouldn't even say that it is a big part of my mission, but it's almost like to every other person that has kept themselves silent to protect the perpetrator, I'm going to say like they need to, you have to, it was my way of liberating myself, but like to liberate others too. So I love that. And it's, yeah. it's, I mean, that's the reason for, for telling, I think that's the reason we tell stories in the first place. We, you know, we, we started as, and I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of oral storytelling. Obviously I'm, I'm coming from a, from an acting, from an improv, from a, from a corporate trainer background. So for me, you know, there's, there's great work to be done in copy and storytelling and written storytelling, but, but my work is around oral storytelling, which is significantly different. It's, it's, um, you know, writing a script versus producing a script that you made on your feet, I think is a big different thing. I do these workshops called Stage to Page that help people take ideas on their feet and turn them into scripts later because I think it's more natural. But the whole reason we've ever told stories, like way back in the day where our oral storytelling tradition started from was not about sitting around and feeling good with each other. That wasn't, you know, if you go back to what was happening, you know, when we were all around a campfire near a cave somewhere, it wasn't that we were telling stories to like impress each other. We were telling stories to protect each other. We were telling stories to teach each other. We were, we were passing down oral storytelling traditions to our children to give them lessons. There's actually this really interesting study done by some professors at Emory University uh, in like 2010 or something like that. And they studied, it was called, it was called, did you know, or do you know, or something like that, the study. And they basically, they studied children's emotional health and happiness. And what they found is there was one common predictor around whether children would be emotionally happy and healthy. The more that the child understood the family's story, the more that they understood what the family went through, where they were from, who they were, how they've survived, how they thrived, that child had a better sense of control over their own life and was more emotionally happy and healthy. And I think that's why we've been telling stories from the beginning of time. And so in the, in the case that you just shared, not only is that story a story for you, a, a story of you finding the ability to have that voice and, and do that, but it's also a story for other people. And I think that's the whole reason to tell these stories, you know? Yeah. Oh, there's like so many, I have so many like questions and so many directions I want to go in, but so one of the things I, I always say is like storytelling is such an innate, like natural thing for us. So why does it become so hard for people to share their story in their business, like specifically on social media? Like what, like why, why is it so challenging for people? Is it because they get the, their ego involved in it? Like what do you kind of, what have you noticed? 
I think it's I think it's a couple things. Yeah, it's it's ego, but not in the egotistical way. It's ego in the way of I want to protect myself. So will yeah. people think something's uh, will people look down on me if I share this fact? Will I lose a sale or lose a business? And there's always that fear. It's the same fear that people have around like they don't want to have a niche because it's like, well, I, there might be one woman who lives in a shoe. And if I don't say that I'm for people who live in a shoe, then she might not think I'm for her. And the reality is in that doing that, you don't become really for anybody then. And so one of it is that we worry about status loss. We worry, well, they think I'm silly, stupid, that I didn't know the answer always. And, and what's interesting is, you know, one of the things that I get all of the time, because I'm very open on social, I'm very, you know, I try not to just be, there's a big difference too between being, um, being self-indulgent and just telling stories you want to tell. And then there's that other thing of where people do that vulnerability. It's like the combination of vulnerability and faux where it's like, I'm being vulnerable with you, but only so you'll buy my program at the end of this message. Right. And that feels dirty and bad. And so I think it encourages some people to be like, I don't want to tell my story because I don't want to be like that. But the, the, the real goal of it is that you make the personal things universal. And I think sometimes the challenge is that we, we think about telling a story and we just go out and we say, well, I told everyone the story and nothing happened. And I think the challenge sometimes is that in the case of applied storytelling, where you're not just, you know, you're not just hanging out at a party talking about a time when something happened and making people laugh or something like that. You're telling a story in your business specifically for an applied purpose. You want people to um, feel something. You want them to know something. You want them to think a certain way. You want them to do something. And so when that's the case, it does require a little bit more work to say, well, what is the moral of the story? How, does my, how do I put my audience in it? And that takes a little bit more work than simply sitting down and saying, I'm going to tell my story today. And I think because people don't know how to do that, you know, they know how to tell a story at a party that's fun and entertaining, but they don't know how to tell a story in an applied way that yeah. then they do it and it doesn't work. And so they stop doing it. Hmm. So I had this kind of like, I, it's not really controversial, but it could potentially trigger people. Um, this is kind of like a pet peeve of my own and probably because it triggers me, but, <laughs> um, what is your opinion on these, like, uh, these stories that are like six months to six figures, like this type of storytelling where it's like, it's so focused on the result and it like completely skips past all of the in-betweens as a me, like a marketing tool. Like what's your take on this? I mean, uh, I think I have the same yuck factor that you do. <laughs> I, I just did this, uh, I just was part of this summit that was making fun of all of that, one of those online summits, and we were making fun of the get rich quick things and talking about like, no, the real work that goes into building a business, the real effort that it takes. And so I, I think the same thing, I think, I think this is the reality though, storytelling, applied storytelling works really well when you know how to do it, and it works really well for good and really well for bad. I mean, even if you just look at our history, because of some people's ability to be really effective storytellers, they were able to, to do horrible things in the world, to get other people to do horrible things in the world. And so storytelling, we look at it so much and we think, ah, it's so positive and lovely. But really, it's just a really powerful tool that can be used in lots of ways. And I, I think these people that are talking about six months to six figures and this kind of thing, it's, it's being used in that negative way. And I think the challenge is that it's not, I, don't, I just don't think it's honest. I, I think that they, they skip all the stuff in the middle because there's nothing in the middle because it's probably not a true story anyway. Well, it's, it's funny because 
like I grew up with a pretty high wealth consciousness, consciousness, and I never felt inspired by these types of stories. Like I just, I'm all about money. I love money. Don't get me wrong. But I just find that it's like, it's such a cheap cop out specifically for people that are maybe personal brands, influencers, or consultants, coaches, like where they're really infusing their story in it. And this was like, I think at some point this summer where, I don't know, I saw a post in a Facebook group and it was just one of those like stories. And I felt particularly audacious that day. So I decided to comment and I'm like, well, what happened in between? Like you skipped the whole story. And I guess like <laughs> the owner of the group thought it was rude. So I was booted out. I was like, there you oh go. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a troublemaker, Brittany. I love it. But I mean, like that, that's the thing is that the fear of speaking your truth, like that was my truth. And maybe it was potentially aggressive. And I mean, I don't know. I don't think I'm aggressive, but I think I have this like thing where I'm like, I'm such a, I just call it the bullshit. Again, that might not have been the appropriate moment, but like that was the consequence. Like, I mean, I was, I mean, I don't care that I was kicked out of the group, like whatever, but do you know what I mean? Like some people can perceive like what, you know, what is the downside of speaking our truth in public? Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much, there's so much potential downside, but, but again, it's also like, do you really want to be in a world where a bunch of people are just being phony? So maybe there's a benefit like, yeah, certainly maybe you got kicked out of that world, but like sometimes it's good to get kicked out of places that you don't belong or that you don't want to be. And yeah. so uh, there's, there's so much there's so much possible downside to telling your story as well. But the, the reality is that what is the story you're telling yourself when you don't? So what is the story you tell yourself when you just sit back and you say, okay, I'm not going to speak my truth. I think it's, uh, I actually posted about this last night. I was rocking out to, uh, to Taylor Swift and you know, Taylor Swift has the new album out. That's all like love and happy, but I was rocking out to the reputation album because I was feeling sassy yesterday and uh, the song look what you made me do was exactly how i was feeling um about this this about the situation in my life and i thought wow so often you know i i'm i love to make people happy i love you know it's why i was why i was drawn to doing comedy and improv was i love making people laugh i love you know it's why i love the theater and storytelling is i love making people feel good um, I used to own restaurant groups and that is all about making people feel good and with that comes this desire to to not want to be not liked. Yeah. And so you don't say things because you're like, oh, gosh, this really bothers me and I'd like to say something. And there's, you know, there's certainly times where it's like, eh, this isn't worth it. Like, I don't, it, it really doesn't matter whether I say something or not, like who cares? And there are other times where you feel like, you know what? No, I've got to, I got to say something about this. And what I've realized is, you know, we were talking about those, those three stories that are on my about page on my website. And that first story, the story we tell ourselves, I always think about what is the story I'm going to tell myself about me if I don't say something right now? That was the sound of the mic dropping. <laughs> <laughs> we need like a little sound effect, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that is so powerful. And I've really seen that shift in my work as well. Like I've just always been obsessed with stories and and film and like probably in like a delusional way where like I sometimes think there's like an audience or like a camera following me around or like my my life is like narrated. <laughs> You're like living inside of like the the real life version of the office. <laughs> oh my god I like I know I'm a little bit weird but 
But we, I think you and I probably grew up in a generation and probably a lot of the people watching the show grew up in a generation that, you know, we loved the real world, that TV show yeah. on MTV. And so I always remember being like, oh yeah, there's like a literal camera following me around. So you're not alone in this. I've got your back. <laughs> but I think like also just as like someone who worked as an actor, but also in film, like I'm constantly like, what's the angle? What's the pitch? Like what, you know, what are we, who are the characters? <laughs> like it's so obsessive to me. So, um, oh my goodness. So I have a burning question for you and I think this will really resonate with my audience, but this is also like a selfish question because it's, it's, it's my question. For my <laughs> <laughs> so let me see how to phrase this. How do you, or what would you say to your clients who you work with? Or, or, or to me, <laughs> how would you navigate sharing your personal story when it involves other people and basically like when the truth, like you want to be honest and integrity, but you also don't want to villainize someone. So this might be in a situation where it's not necessarily like a business building story, but say you're just like sharing your story on stage. Maybe I should be more specific. <laughs> I feel like I have, there's this one story that I felt like I haven't been able to share because me sharing it means I have to out someone in my family. And I see this happen with my clients where like they don't want to share things because it, I mean, our stories inevitably involve other people. So how do you help people kind of navigate that? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, no, it makes so much sense. It's so true. I mean, this is the big challenge that people face when they, when they want to write a memoir even, you know, is, is, well, the things that happened to me are not my own story to tell. You know, a lot of times people who have siblings even will say, oh, I want to talk about this thing in my childhood, but it involves my sibling as well. And they're like, in my case, my sister is very private. And so there's a lot of things that like if I was ever writing a memoir, I'd want to say, oh my gosh, this is what was going on with us as kids. But I know that she's super private. So it's thinking through what does that mean? I think a, a couple of things are what I advise clients or, or if I was working with someone on a speech or something like that. One is to, you, you may not be able to protect the other person. Like that may be a conversation. I do think it should always be a conversation. I think it's a, while it's never easy, it's certainly worse if the person, the first time the person hears it is somebody sending them a YouTube video. And it's like, oh, well, that's great. So I think when possible, it's telling the person ahead of time, like, hey, I need to tell this. It is about me and what I learned. Um, and, and I'm going to talk about it, which, which leads me to my second thing I advise is the what happened to you. I think this about all stories and all details. What happened to you is not the interesting thing. What happened to you is not your story. I, I really firmly believe this. I'm, I'm working on this new online course around, around this kind of stuff. And, and I just did this. I just was working on the, the module, which ties up to a, a section of a, a new book. I'm, who knows when it will come out, but I'm working on. And it talks about the, the what happened to you is not your story. It's, it's not. It's the, the facts and the details and the things that happen to you are not your story because those same things, if they happen to someone else, would not be your story, would they? Right. Your story is what you made it mean. Yeah. Your story is what you took away from it. And so if I was helping someone who said, I really want to talk about this thing I went through, but I also want to, and they had the interest of, of not involving the 
the other people in some way, then I would say, okay, well, let's just, let's keep working on how can we do this in a nuanced way that is both honest, but also is more focused on what hap- what your thinking was, what you went through. If you even think about, um, you know who I think does a good job of this is, is Cheryl Strayed in her work. If you watch the movie that Reese Witherspoon did, I think um, Wild was the movie. But Cheryl Strayed is, is a writer who's written a lot of, of personal things. And in the movie Wild, she, she covers the period of time where she went through um, a drug, a really, really wild drug addiction, and then ended up walking the Pacific Northwest Trail, the Pacific Trail, whatever that is from like Mexico to Canada, mm-hmm. um, on her own, like through the mountains. And she was telling the story through it. And, you know, of course, it involves parts of her childhood and things like that. But it was always focused on what it meant to her, what she was taking away from it, and not what the person did to her. Because I, I do also think that that's what's valuable to the audience. What's, what's sensationalistic is the what happened to me. That's, that can be sensationalistic. And, and that is completely a thing to talk about. And I think that is therapeutic. And I think that belongs in a, in a story circle where that's what everyone's doing or in a therapy session or at a retreat where that's the goal. But on stage for an audience, the what happened to me is not the interesting thing. The most interesting thing about you, I would say even you, Brittany, is what you made it mean. And that's the story we all want. Yeah. I love this because I'm really moving into this like new season of, of my business and my life and my art and everything I'm creating. And I'm still kind of standing on the ledge because I'm like, I'm, I've realized I've spent my entire life betraying myself and I've spent my whole life trying to remember who I am. And I realized like, oh my gosh, that's my message to the world. Like it doesn't even matter like what the medium is. Like film will always be in my life, but like I need to tell people, I need to teach people how to stop like betraying themselves and come home to themselves. And as I'm like realizing this, I'm like, okay, well now I understand why I've connected all the dots. I mean, of course I already knew these things, but it, there's a moment when you, it clicks and you're like, oh, <laughs> now my life work, work makes sense. But I feel like in some ways, like in order to really tell that story and to explain the symptoms and like everything, like in a way that it reflects back to other people, I do have to speak about my family but I also don't want them to hear it in a way that's going to like throw them under a bus, if that makes sense. Sure. And um, yeah, I just, I see this with people cause yeah, I just feel like our stories like inevitably still involve people. Like, yeah. So I guess it's like just being careful on the way that, and the space of like where it's actually being presented. Yeah. And I think also there's an opportunity to say, is there more backstory that can de-villainize the person who, because, because the person who's doing something that hurt you didn't just appear in the world that way. They became that way somehow. So sometimes, you know, this is, this is harder and this is definitely a much more kind of like therapeutic version of storytelling um, that sometimes comes up in retreats and things like that is, Sometimes the idea is to say, well, let's, let's go dive into the story of that person a little bit. And it's, it's not that we need to like gaslight anyone's experience or make a victim feel victimized, but it's saying, how, how did they get to that place? And it doesn't mean that what they did was okay, but it means that we can more fully develop the character to say, you know, and here's the deal, like what a horrible place for them to have been in to think that this is the only thing they could do, which resulted in this thing that they did to me which, which meant this to me. And so there's sometimes an interesting thing to say, 
is there a little bit of that that can be included that doesn't totally uh, de-villainize them? Because if somebody did something wrong, then, then that's okay to say. But is there a way to say, look, I get that there's still people. And, and uh, for whatever reason, this is what they thought they needed to do in the world. Here's what it meant to me. Here's how it impacted me. Um, and taking out all of the parts where we assume that we know their intentions, that really it's, it's just focusing on the, here's what happened from my point of view and what I made that mean. And sometimes in that work and finding different ways to tell it, it can focus on what you really want to focus on, which is the, what was my take on it all? Yeah. And I love that you said this because it kind of ties back with what we were saying at the beginning is like the three different types of stories and you know, what's the story you're telling yourself. And I also love that you said this because one of the screenplays I'm working on right now, um, which I'm kind of developing into a short, but you know, one day I want it to be <laughs> a, a full feature, but I'm really fascinated on like the generational traumas that are passed down. And like, just like you said, like, because for me, like I learned through like visual storytelling, so TV and movie, that's, you know, the way my brain works. Um, I want to be able to share these same lessons. Like if I look at my story and I look at what my parents went through and then my grandparents, like it's so obvious. Like when you can just connect the dots, like, like you said, just understand where they're coming from. What did they experience? Um, and when you can put that on the big screen, like, I feel like it's like, um, what is that called? Like the global consciousness, like everyone can learn from it when you can see it from that like bird's eye perspective, how things are like passed down through generations. So I love that. I'll be the first in line for a ticket to either the short film version or the feature length film. So count me in. Oh yeah. I'm so excited for this. So okay. well, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting too. Like that, that is, there's a way to tell that story without making anyone a villain or a hero. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing when you look at it and to say like, it doesn't mean what anyone did was okay. It just means it is what they did. I think that's gotta be the theme of it. I think that's how you can neutralize it. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. I want to, we're going to follow up. We're going to follow up and I'm going to, I want to come back and learn more about this when it's ready. Yeah. Well, I think that like, this has been just such a pivotal, like when you bring your work back to like, what's your why? Um, who talks about this, Simon Sinek, like this really is the origin of my work is like understanding who we are, why we behave the way we do. And, you know, being able to, I, I don't consider myself a coach by any means, but my work does fall into that category. Like I am really helping people own their truth and come back to who they are. And I, I do that directly, but like for me, the bigger vision is like, it's the storytelling piece. It's like, how can we, I just think once we like, when we see it, it just becomes clear to us versus like when you're in it and you're trying to understand and you're struggling and you're doing all the things, we don't always connect the dots so easily. So. Yeah. Like, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to, it's hard to realize you're in the middle of it. Yeah. Well, I think like even just on this topic, have you seen the, the Joker movie yet? I've not seen, I've not been brave enough to go yet. Oh God, I cried. And then I had a fight with my boyfriend over it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like good art then. Well, I just like, it was so upsetting because I really sympathized with the Joker and I was like, just in tears because everything that he was ex 
expressing in it. I mean, I don't want to give away any plot things here, but it just, it was just so fucking emotional. And I was like, I get it. Like I so have been not to the point where I would go and murder people, but you, oh, it just makes, it just, you have to see it. So I cried and then I had a fight with my boyfriend. So I was like, you don't get it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And then he apologized and it was all like, it was it's, but you know, what's so interesting about that is it goes back to what we said at the beginning. You know, you, were, you asked me that those three stories on my website, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell our audiences and the stories they walk away with you and your boyfriend saw the same movie and you walked away with a different story. Oh, com- yeah, completely. <laughs> so great. And that's, that's all based on your own the story you walked in with. This is where the interesting thing about storytelling comes in is, is so many folks out there are focused on um, storytelling as a thing we do to people. And, and I really think it's this collective thing we do together because your experiences in that movie were different because you each walked in with your own stories already. And we can't forget that our audiences are all living their own stories and we are tapping into that somehow. Yeah. That's so true because for me, it triggered my trauma, but my boyfriend is like, had, I'm not going to say the perfect life, but he had two parents that loved him in a really good childhood. So he like, doesn't understand (laughs) like what it means. Like he just, he doesn't get the personal development world or like trauma or any of these things. So of course for him, it was like the obvious answer is not to go and kill people, which is the obvious answer, but like we're (laughs) like, you know, like mental illness and like the effects that it has. Um, it's hard to say more without giving away like one of the biggest Sure. I won't, I won't go there, but when you see it, it, it just makes so much sense on. I'm going to, I'm going to see it. I'm going to text you and be like, oh my gosh, I get it. Yeah. You know, but it's, but it's interesting because it goes back to the idea that we're not, we're telling stories always to, to help our audience. We're always telling stories. And one of the great things about, you know, this movie that we're talking about is the ability for it to allow you to see yourself in it. So even though the exact situation is not your exact situation, mm. the way that it was written and the way that it was told that allows you to see yourself in it. And that is what I actually think that's what great art does so much art that, you know, there's art that we look at and we think, Oh, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. And then there's art that we really connect with. And I think the art we really connect with is the art that leaves just enough space for us to see ourselves in it. It's the songs that you go back to during a breakup or that you sing when you're feeling good, or it's, you know, look what you made me do by Taylor Swift when you're feeling angry. There's just enough space that even though you didn't get in a fight with Kanye and Kim Kardashian like Taylor did, you could still feel yourself in it enough. There's enough room for us to live inside of that story. And that is what great storytellers know. Yeah. I feel like you're really speaking my language and I love, it's funny because when I, sometimes when I'm teaching this to my clients, like, I'm like, why don't you get it? <laughs> and like, but you just get it. Like, you just so, you're just so articulate. I love talking to you. <laughs> Thank you. I know, let's, let, we need to do like a retreat together or something yeah. someday. It'd be so fun. <laughs> Are a little you mastermind. <laughs> Are you in California? Yeah, I live in Los Angeles. Oh, so this has been, so like all of my family is in California. I'm located in Paris right now and I have been, I made the decision that I was going to move part-time to LA. Um, I was trying to avoid that whole like stereotype of the artist life there, but I think I'm just going to have to embrace it and just get over it and be the abundant LA artist. <laughs> Make your own story up. Make your own story yeah. up. I love it. <laughs> so, um, 
I know I've taken you over here, but I want to just quickly dive in, Mike. Like, what what has been one of your struggles, and how did you overcome it? <laughs> well, let me pick one. You know, I think so. I grew up. I grew up. My 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 parents were teenagers when I was born. My mom was fifteen, and my dad was seventeen. And every statistic about that is true. We were poor. I lived in a trailer. We had all of the, all of the issues you would have growing up in, in that kind of situation. And, you know, then on top of that, I, I'm type one diabetic. So I, my mom and dad got divorced when I was 10, I became type one diabetic. I'm gay. So I had all of that going through high school. All of these, all of these things happened. And, and I think the big, the big thing for me was this change in my I don't know, my late 20s and early 30s, my, my husband and I have been together for 15 years. So since we were 24 years old, we've been together. And which is, which I think in, in gay lives is like a very long, long time. Uh, especially when we were 24, it was like not what 24 year old were doing at the time. But one of the things that I realized along there, I, I always struggled and I still do. I, I think it's one of those core things like we were talking about uh, all of us have our own histories and our own stories we bring to things. We tell ourselves our own stories. And so I, I in my 20s, was, was really successful. I built and grew restaurant brands and sold them and, and made great money. Uh, I then left that and became a public speaker, wrote a book. I've done all these things. And what's so interesting is even in all of that, I still worry every day that like, I'm going to be like homeless and poor again. Uh, like, yeah. that, that's never, that hasn't been my story since I was a child. But all the time I worry about that. I worry about like, uh, you know, well, what, what is going to happen? How, what will I do if, if I run out of money and I run out of this and that? It's, it's not even remotely a possibility anytime soon for me, but I worry about that. And so I, I use that a lot in my work to say, we are all, and, and I'm conscious of it. I think the key is to say, I realize that that is just a story I'm telling myself. And at some point, that story because I'm still writing it. So I know that story will end and I will be able to write something different. And so I'm at least connecting to it, recognizing it, calling it out when I see it. And I think that for me, that's made me a better communicator and a better, a better coach for people because I realize that everything we're looking at is not the entire story. And so for me, the case was, you know, I'm living in the, I live in the house I live in. I live in a great craftsman in Los Angeles and I have a, a fancy car and I go on the trips and I'm part of all the wine clubs and I have all these lovely things that are not things I ever would imagine I would have as a kid. And yet I still worry about being poor. So if you just look at the picture, if you just look at what you think the story is, then you would make one assumption. But when you actually realize there's a story underneath of that story and probably more underneath that then you're able to be much more effective in the world. And I think that that for me has been such a gift that I was able to see that. And I think it's made me a better public speaker. It's made me a better storyteller. It's made me a better coach because I've realized, and even when I was a, was a leader, when I was heading up operations and, and things, I think it made me a better leader because I realized, oh, there's more here than what I'm seeing. There's another story underneath of the, this that's driving behavior. And that's what I need to tap into. Yeah. So when I'm hearing about this, I've noticed this pattern in people that are really successful. We either are driven, these might not be the right words, but just hear me out. <laughs> like either driven by fear or paralyzed by it. And 
some people get cat, like they can have these fears and it catapults them into like working really hard to be successful. And then some people get paralyzed. Mm. Have you ever seen, mm-hmm. have you, have you experienced that before seen that before with people? Yeah. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like, um, that whole nature thing of like when we're scared or fearful, we fight, we flight. And I think the third option is we freeze, which is the paralyzed thing you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, all of those are just ways to avoid dealing with the truth. Ooh. And, and sometimes they're what we need. I mean, the reality is sometimes freezing, sometimes f- fighting, sometimes flighting. Sometimes that's what we need because it's what we can deal with. And as long as we realize we're doing it, I think the danger is not that we're doing it. I think the danger is not realizing we're doing it. I think that's the thing of nothing in itself is bad. It's the disillusioned it's the lack of self-awareness around ah i'm doing this thing so it's saying ah i realize i'm not speaking up when i should i'm gonna call that out i'm gonna recognize it i may still choose not to speak up because i'm scared and i don't know what to do and i'm fearful and i want to be protected and safe totally get that but at least realize it's what you're doing so it doesn't become habitual and it doesn't become a prison for you Mm, yeah i love that okay (laughs) wrapping up Tell us just quickly what, uh, like a bite-sized takeaway, what are, like, what are five um, key ingredients to sharing your story in a, like, a magnetic or compelling way? Oh, fun. Okay. Number one is double down on eye contact. This is super practical and super, like, tactical, but eye contact is the window to the soul. And so many people, when they're telling their story, they don't look long enough at people. And so it cheats them. We don't do it because it's really intimate and it's really scary. But the more that you do it, the realer and more honest it feels for the audience. So that's number one. Number two is the story you're telling probably starts a little bit before you start telling it. What I see often is that people think they're telling the exposition, if they're giving us all the details. But really, they're, they're introducing us too far into the middle of the story. We need to take one step back. We need to look at what was going on for that character? What was every day like? When everything was kind of fine and normal, what was happening? And we often need just a little touch of that. And that's something I'll often have to fix in a story, specifically business stories, but a lot of stories need a little fixing there. The third one is that you should always start every story, I believe, not when you're telling it, but when you're working on it, when you're crafting it. You should start every story by having a really clear understanding of how it ends. I mean, you, you know that probably from some of your work on film and writing screenplays and things is you always have a clear idea of like, what's the final scene? Yeah. Where is this thing leading to? Because then it allows you to say, okay, well, what needs to go into the movie? What needs to go into the story to earn that ending? Because we want the characters in our stories to earn the ending. If they're changed, if they're, if they're a whole new person, if they've achieved greatness, we want them to have earned it. And so... I think one of the challenges people do is they don't, start, they don't start with a clear idea of how this ends and then they don't know what to put in it so it just ends up rambling. So that would be number three. Number four is to really think about the thing that I've said a couple times here. What, not what happened, but how did what happened, what did I make it mean for me and how can I make that mean something to the audience? That would be the fourth thing. And then the fifth thing is to not protect yourself at all from the audience when you get up there. If you're, if you're telling your story live yeah. is to really show up and to say, I'm here with you and 
you know, the, the, don't imagine the audience naked. You're the one who's naked. You're showing them everything. And so be willing to do that because that alone will make you more dynamic and captivating to people because we're so thirsty for that authenticity. Yeah. These are all so good. And, you know, there's a lot of people, I don't even want to say it's a buzzword because Ever since, I was born in 89 and I was like born out of the womb, like story. So for me, that was a connection. <laughs> but this is like a kind of a buzzword in the industry. And a lot of people are teaching on story. And I just think that like you clearly walk the talk. Um, you like, you know what you're talking about. I can tell you have a body of work behind it. And I just think this is so educational. Um, even for the listeners, like even the way that you teach it, it's so different from me. And yet we come back to the same theme. So for those listening, um, reach out to us on, are you Mike more of a Facebook, Instagram kind of person? Where do you hang out online? What do I love? I, I'm Facebook or Instagram. I love Instagram. I probably spend a lot of time on Instagram. Um, more of my like thoughtful, creative thinking goes into Instagram. So yeah, I'm, I'm Instagram, Mike Ganino. That's easiest place to find me. Okay. So come, come hang out with us. Come message us. Um, I have a Facebook group called my next level self with Brittany Hammond. So I want to make this like really interactive. If you guys are listening and you have aha moments or questions, um, just message us and we will be there to engage and respond. Um, Mike, do you have anything that people like a, a freebie or something that people can, a resource that people can download or what, how can people work with you? Yeah. So, you know, I have this, <laughs> when, when I was working on a new website, it was like, oh yeah, you, you have to have like a, a freebie, a download, a little thing. And I was like, okay. And so I think what people mean by that was like a little one page tool. No, I, I wrote a 25 page workbook that is uh, how to, what stories we should be telling. It's all about the five stories we should be telling in business. And I think a different take on what a lot of people are sharing. So, uh, so I wrote that and it's out there. It's how to tell them which ones to tell. There's a bunch of story prompts for people that are like, I don't know what stories to talk about. And that's at mikeganino.com slash storycraft. So mikeganino.com slash storycraft free workbook. I, I just started writing and didn't stop until I was done with that. So it's out there for everyone. Cool. So people, it's kind of like a template. They can just like apply it to themselves and then craft stories? Yeah. So the first, um, the first like portion is all these questions around, you know, we want to hear stories about you. So here are a bunch of questions about them. We want to hear stories about a time when you recognized the world needed to be different, which should be your founding origin story should sound like that. So there's a whole bunch of prompts and ideas and stuff to fill out. And then at the end, it actually helps you shape those into really interesting stories and shows you different places where you could use them and how you could apply this to your work. This sounds so amazing. I'm going to go down. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mike, for being here. This was so amazing that I took you to an hour, <laughs> but it was totally worth it. I love it. I feel like we were kindred spirits. So I'm so happy to be here and honored that you had me on the show. Brittany. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brand Interrupted Podcast. I so appreciate you and your time. And to show that appreciation, I want to give you a free gift. Head over to untamedrevolution.com forward slash gift to get instant access to my free three-part Audaciously You on Camera video series, a step-by-step -step on how to share your story 
craft your core message, master your energy, infuse your personality, and boost your charisma on camera so you can amplify your impact with video and turn viewers into dream clients. And if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, don't forget to head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating. Until next time, bisous from Paris. Ciao, ciao.